0: Well, tonight I'm going to have some scriptures, and hopefully I can get to where I want to. But we're just going to take it little by little, see where we get with it. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, we ask for the anointing tonight. We ask for your presence. We already feel it. We ask that you would have your way. Lord, we pray over our youth and those as they're in there and learning about you and being touched by the Holy Spirit that you would strengthen them, Lord, and open up their eyes that they would learn of you, Lord. Revelation, Lord, that's what we need. Revelation, and we need it here too, Lord from your holy word and by your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal some things to us tonight. Lord, we're just so thankful for our salvation where you have us, that you're you're a good father. (laughs) You're so good you sent your son to die for us, and we did not deserve it, but you died for us. We're thankful for that. We just ask to bless your holy name and thank you. In Jesus' name of the church says, amen. Uh, Tonight I'm going to try to attempt to go into the first chapter of the book of Revelation And, uh, you know, as a young Christian some years back, and even to this day, I remember uh, just a lot of feedback you get from Christians about the book of Revelation, right? You hear, well, that's just too deep of a book, and it just, you can't understand it, and I'm intimidated by it, and, you know, I just kind of want to just stay away from it. But really, when we really read the first chapter and what it says, there's a promise in there for reading it and for keeping it right and so back in the day it was all like a mystery but now in this day we're starting to see the puzzles being put together in these last days and I mean really let's just talk a little bit about the little the bank crisis that's been going on since over a week and some of the things that are alarming and really eye openers but it's just showing you uh, the direction that this world is going and we always know it's it's up to God's will how he permits things to start going fast forward But we can see little bits and pieces of how this puzzle is coming together and how one day it's all going to wrap up. And then that's it. We're going home with Jesus. And so just looking at some of the things and people panicking, and I get it. Nobody wants to lose their money in the bank. Who does, right? So what are you going to do? Most people are going to like, I'm going to get my money out. But even in that in itself would start a chaos throughout the nation if people would continue in that. But for God's people, we know that we're still going to trust the Lord no matter what, right? Because he is the one that is in control. And whatever is going to happen is going to happen, but he's with his people. And that's what I love about the book of Revelation. Uh, we tend to look at it like it's really and all the metaphors and, the, uh, and all the uh, different things and analogies that uh, John is referring to. But really, if you look at it, God is in control of this whole book. From the beginning of that revelation of Jesus Christ all the way to the end, we win, right? And so, praise God. So, we know there's coming a day, but things are going to get really, really pretty bad. But God is still in control. And what John is trying to do in this book, because in the era that he was in, the church was under persecution. So, the Lord gave him this revelation to encourage the church to continue to go into you know, on with the faith and just keep going forward no matter what. But God loves us so much too that he's revealing certain things that are going to come to pass one day in the future. And so we know this has been going on for 2,000 years for this revelation, but now we're at a point where you know, there was a time that the church could talk about the book of Revelation to a point. And they talk about the mark of the beast and all that. But now with the technology that we have, the the, the, the picture is more clear now. We can see a little bit better. Like, wow, this is all, all the dots are starting to connect little by little. So it's really phenomenal what's going on in the last days. And it should excite us, even though it looks kind of whatever. But it's just pointing to one thing, that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. And we don't know the hour. None of us do. But uh, I tell you what, I just love that blessed hope, knowing that we can trust him and have confidence in him, uh, no matter what's going on in this crazy world. And, And there's a lot of things that are going on. Matthew chapter 24 can relate even out of Jesus' own mouth to some of the things that are going on in the world. And I think I said that last Wednesday about the rumors of war and wars and all that and the famines and pestilences, which we really have been seeing uh, going on for the last several years, like it's been intensifying. But yet God is still in control. And I hang on to that promise where he said, And this gospel shall be proclaimed. And through all the world, and after that, then the end shall come, right? So there's a mission for the church to do, and that is to do the Great Commission while there's still time to do that. And only, you know, no man knows the hour. No, ain't nobody. Only God himself knows when he's coming. But uh, one day it's, it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen in my lifetime, well, then praise God then my kids will go on and keep preaching that message that Jesus is coming back. And it excites me when I talk about him because sometimes I look at some of the things going on in my own life and my circumstances, and they can kind of discourage you. But then when you look to him and you know that he's coming one day, you know, it should excite us. We have a hope, not like the world has. We have an eternal hope of knowing where we're going one day. And that excites me because the world doesn't have an answer to what's going on with a lot of things going on right now? this whole place right now. But we know, we understand, we have revelation. So really, I just pray tonight that of all this, of anything, that God would reveal something specifically to you in your heart, right? This is what this is about. We can read the Word of God, we can pray about it, be taught of it and all that. But until we personally get a revelation of what it means, it's like a jewel, right? It's like treasure the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see something that you've never seen before, then you're able to grasp that and you're like, oh, this is awesome, right? And who likes good news? You know, when we were kids and we heard good news, we couldn't hold it to ourselves. We wanted to let everybody know, our family, our neighborhood, at school, we would just blab it everywhere, right? And that's the exciting thing about it. So uh, just bear with me. We're going to go through some scriptures tonight and really just hopefully we can get to uh, the first chapter and we'll see, but really... Uh, Just the title of this, teach teaches the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is very simple. So a little bit of the introduction of the book of Revelation. Uh, The book of Revelation was probably written around AD 96 at the close of Emperor Domitian's reign. He reigned as a Roman emperor from uh, AD 81 to 96. And he was one of the emperors that was heavily persecuting the church. As a matter of fact, what he would do, he would get, when he found that they were Christians, he would have them come before him or his representatives, I would say, and um, they had two things they can do. They could have two choices. They get a little incense and they just burn it in the little fire and proclaim Him as God and go on their life. Or they could deny that and say, No, Jesus Christ is God. And so we know the outcome of a lot that gave their lives, you know, to say, No, I'm not going to deny my Lord. And so He was heavily persecuting the church at that time. We believe this is around the time of John, too, was in this era, too. And so He, he persecuted the church, uh, what I'd say, with forced worship as God. Or death, so he would try to get them to proclaim out of their own mouth that he is God and he's not, or they would die for their faith. And so, really, the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book is what the ancient Greek word translated uh, revelation is apocalypse. We all know this, right? The word simply means a revealing, or an or an unveiling. You know, something that is hidden, but now it is being revealed, is being shown uh, plainly, and that's what the book of Revelation is: the revelation of Jesus Christ in the sense that it belongs to him. He is the one doing the revealing, and it is also Jesus' revelation in the sense that he is the object revealed. Jesus is the person revealed by the book. And you know, when I was a young Christian, I w- it was more like I'd seen these revelations. I was looking at the mark of the bees, uh, the trumpets, and the plagues and everything. But really, it's about a revelation of Jesus Christ. And from that point, Jesus will start revealing what's going to come to pass in the future. And so tradition says they tried to martyr John by casting him into a caldron, like a big old boiling pot of oil. And he escaped by miracle without injury. Domitian afterwards, the emperor, banished him, John, to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, was released later in his life, and lived in the area of known now, the western part of Turkey. He was also the only apostle who died peacefully, right? All the other apostles were martyred and John was one that was able to live his whole life. And we know that one of his titles was John the Beloved, right? The Lord really loved John. And so let's just look at some of the things here, <clears throat> some of, uh, background on John. And so before we get to the book of Re- Re- Revelation, it's so John was the beloved of Jesus, right? You find this in John chapter 13, mm-hmm. verse 23, or that's proclaimed at the, at the supper, if I believe, that he, he was resting on the Lord's chest, right? His beloved and all by his heart. And he and James were the, were the sons of Zebedee, him and his brother. And Jesus nicknamed them what? The sons of thunder, right? Remember that? And John was one of the younger of the disciples. He loved Jesus so much that John was known as the disciple of love. He would lay his head on Jesus' chest. He adored Jesus. It seems that Jesus felt the very same way about John. It was John that it, Jesus entrusted his mother to. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son, because he's getting ready to go back to his father after his resurrection. And so there's, there's just a connection here between John and Jesus. And so he was also one of the, uh, the inner circle that Jesus had, right? His three disciples, they were the ones that witnessed uh, Jesus' transfiguration and other instances that were going on. They were like the inner circle of Jesus. So he was one of the three that was close to Jesus. John was there at the Garden of Gethsemane too, waiting while Jesus prayed. John loved Jesus so much that he was never very far from Jesus. It seemed that this great love that John had for Jesus helped him to understand the person of Jesus more than any other disciple. And this is what it's about, relationship and revelation. And so, <clears throat> let's go to the book of John, the first book in the gospel. We can go to John chapter 1, verse 1, and it's very familiar. But I'm trying to get just talk a little bit about John prior uh Before we get into the book of Revelation, of what he's seen and how he perceived Christ and what he wrote about them, right? This is what it's about. You get to know Jesus little by little. After the three and a half years of earthly ministry, he got to really get a hold of who Jesus was. That's the awesome thing about it. So God is building this up with John's life for a purpose because we're going to see later on why. So in this book of John, it shows Jesus as God manifested in the flesh, right? The first few scriptures say that. So we know that the book of John itself is really titled Jesus the God-Man, right? It speaks of him being fully man and fully God. And so John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. And verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here we just these three scriptures right here at the beginning, really correlates with the book of Genesis, right? There's a lot of similarity. In the beginning, God created the world, the earth, the heavens and the earth. So he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here we have a proclamation of the Son of God being God. The same was in the beginning with God, right? Pre-existing before even the earth was, so its eternity past. And then it says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is a phenomenal revelation that john gave in the gospel if you really read it and think about what he's saying then he goes in verse 14 and says this and the word jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and this is some beautiful truth right here talking about jesus in the book of john i love using this when some people want to uh, contest that you, him being the son of god i'm like well i'd like to go to these scriptures and prove that to them on that and so let's look at some other scriptures in the book of john we'll just stay in the book of john um yeah. john chapter 8 verse 57 and 58 says this and this is pretty plain this is when he was contesting with the jews and they were talking about father abraham so in verse 57 he just drops a bomb on them i mean really in 58 so the jews said to him jesus you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. I was just listening to a real quick clip, and maybe I shouldn't go this way, but I will real quick, and I'll try to come back. Of an <clears throat> uh, Islamic teacher, or whatever you want to call him, was uh, debating about whether Jesus was God or not. And he was specifically contesting Christians to prove in our Bibles. Show me somewhere where Jesus said out of his own lips that he is God. So he wanted like, he wanted something like Jesus saying, I am God, right? And I'd be like, okay, whatever. But here we have these scriptures right here proving, you know, the God of the Old Testament. You know, I am that I am. So there's ways that we can even contest that about how they want to contest us on that. And so we know that a lot of other, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm going to go with it real quick, but. We don't. A lot of other religious belief systems in the world, they have some kind of a semi-perception of who Christ is, right? Islam believes that He was just a prophet. Um, Mormonism believes that He's. Uh, uh, I think brothers would Satan or something. It's crazy. Jehovah's Witness believe that the, He's a created being, right? He's not even God. God the Father created Him. That's why it's called jehovah witness you know one god singular so you can go on and on and on uh, the perception that a lot of religions have about jesus there there are true to a point in some of them but they never get to the the truth the truth right so so really in that in itself uh, it's phenomenal what he told them. truly truly i say to you before abraham was i am and this is the same he's he's expressing the same thing that he told Moses at the burning bush, right? I am that I am, right? That's found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And so I am just means Jehovah, and that's the national name for the nation of Israel, for their God. And so it means the self-existent one. This is powerful. In other words, God doesn't need anything from anybody, but he supplies everything for everybody, right? He's self-sufficient. He's independent. He always has been. He always will be. And so we look at some of the other uh, terms that he used i am in the book of john and i'm not going to use the scriptures from this point i'm just going to go through them briefly so he's what the jews knew when he said i am was recognized by the jews as a title of deity so what does that mean they heard him say that and what did they tried to do they picked up rocks and said we're going <laughs> we're going to stone you to death because you're blaspheming little did they know that he's the son of god we also know in the next, uh, that same chapter i think it's uh, john chapter 8 where he says i am the light of the world and, you know, just all these titles that he's using, I am in front just to prove that he is the son of God and he is with God and he is equal with this father God. The next one would be I am the door. Uh, we know I am the she- the good shepherd, praise God. We know what he did <laughs> with Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. This is phenomenal what he did that day. And that miracle in itself, because he did that and rose uh, Lazarus from the dead after that, they wanted to eliminate him right away, plus Lazarus. They wanted to just get rid of all the evidence of the power that Jesus had and what he did. And then we know the famous one I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so John is just really giving some, mm, some proof here of the personhood of Christ. So Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 and 2 talks about the transfiguration. And after six days, verse 1. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So it was like a metamorphosis. Really, his inner, his real self came out beaming of who he is, right? The glory came out, and they got to get a glimpse of truly, you know, who he is on that mountain. And that was so phenomenal. Phenomenal. They were able to witness that. I'm I'm trying to build this up just to show you what what John witnessed in Jesus all this time, but yet God's still going to save the best for last in the book of Revelation. No matter all that he's seen, it's just going to blow his mind away in the book of Revelation. So John also talks this in the last chapter of John, the 21st chapter, verse 24 and 25 are phenomenal scriptures because they speak a lot about the Lord. He said, this is the disciple who's bearing witness. He's talking about himself about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, and that is powerful. Can you imagine? uh, You know, we we tend to think of the story of Jesus walking through a town. He just kind of healed this person, cast out that demon, and did this. But no, the crowds were surrounding him. And I mean, his disciples were like literally kind of like bodyguards just trying to push people back, you know, because they were just, they were crunching him and all that. So it's just phenomenal. So John continues in his smaller uh, epistles later on. First John chapter one, verse one and three. It's real good. I love it. It says this. This is what he said about Jesus. He goes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life and that's that's another title for jesus concerning the word of life the life was made manifest we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ so John just saying, look, I was with him. I've testified. I touched him. I experienced him. He is real. And this is powerful. So these are all the testimonies, some of them, that John personally witnessed himself. Excuse me for a second. Personally, and wrote by the Holy Spirit to write down about the nature of Christ, the the God-man, which is powerful. And so there was a period of time... The Lord already has went back to heaven. Pentecost has already passed. The church has been birthed. The gospel is being preached through the Roman Empire. Churches are coming up all over all over the known Roman empire in homes right that's church homes they were doing, and the gospel is just it 's spreading like a wildfire and so through that after a while, if you look at the book of Acts, there was a point in time there was peace and on tranquillity, but then there came persecution because that 's how the enemy is he doesn 't want the truth to go out he's going to try to persecute that so this is where we get to the book of revelation so john as you heard he got arrested because he was very sold out for christ for his witness and testimony to the lord jesus christ and so whatever that looked like and whatever he did well they arrested him and so the emperor Domitian was the one that was involved in this and like i said earlier they tried to boil him in hot oil this is tradition. We can't prove it, but that's what they're leaning to more than the other traditions they talk about, John. But uh, miraculously, he wasn't hurt, so they're like, what do we do with this guy? I'll tell you what, let's just go put him in the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of Turkey, out in the water. So, you know, that's the enemy for you. The enemy's thinking that he could always beat God at his game, and he's always trying to do something. So I'll just get this guy, put him in this prison, on an island, away from everybody, and he won't be able to be effective with the gospel, right? He's just sitting there. He's in solitary confinement or whatever he is or he's doing whatever he's doing in there, and yet God has a plan. God has a plan, right? You can't stop the hand of God. You can't stop the gospel. No matter what anybody or any, anybody would try, they cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do you think is going through John's mind at this point? You know, my life's over with. This is it. I'm good, just going good to sit here. You know, I love the Lord. I'm content maybe. Maybe he's content. Maybe he's not. But you could imagine in his mind, you know, I survived this. That happened to me. And mm-hmm. Is that it? Is that it for me, Lord? Is, is this it? I'm retired no more of the gospel? He mm. must have sat there and just thought about that. But then... The Lord moved. So let's go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. Verse 2, Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed, here we go. Here's the blessing right here. We read this book. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so really it's saying at the first, it said, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. So God the Father has given Jesus Christ this authority, right? All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. That's what he did at Calvary which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So first, what the Lord is going to do, he's going to reveal himself to John, right, specifically in this vision. But after that, then he's going to start revealing to him what's going to come to pass in the future. So this is phenomenal. This is phenomenal. And so what John does right here, verse uh, 4, he's going to greet the seven churches. This is what this is about at the beginning. We know that the number seven runs a lot through the Book of Revelation, right? The seven trumpets, the seven bowls, you know, you go on. on seven seals, you go on and on and on. And you see uh, the number seven a lot, which is God's complete number. So John says, "John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne." And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so that's how John greets the seven churches. Now we know, I should have mentioned earlier, but I did mention the, the country, modern day Turkey. The western part, that's where these seven churches were all residing. They were kind of close by, but not too close, but enough in a walking distance. So for whatever reason, the Lord picked these seven churches to be described in the book of Revelation. So you have a, uh, a revelation right here of the Trinity. It says in verse 4, again, we're going to go, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. It doesn't mean that there's seven Holy Spirits. That means that's the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Are before his throne and from the Son now. So we've got the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. We know what that means, that he was the first one to be resurrected after his death. And after that, everyone else that's born again will have that same resurrection one day. And the ruler of kings on earth to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. This is powerful. He's speaking about the cross and what's been done for us. and made us a kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, priest to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that is the greeting. So John starts giving some detail now, and this is what he says, verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, and even those who pierce Him, and all the tribes of The earth will well on account of him, even so. Amen. So he's already talking about what it's going to be like on that day when Christ is going to come and the second coming and clean house and take over and all that. Now, you could really, where John gets this, and really I believe that he gets it out of the book of Daniel because Daniel and and Revelation, they correlate. There's a lot of connection between them on uh, last day's uh, prophecies and all that. Daniel chapter 7 says something similar to verse 7 in Revelation It said, uh, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's another term for the God the Father, and was presented before him. And listen to this, verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this is powerful, a <laughs> powerful promise right here. This is in the Old Testament. So he continues to say this, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In other words, the Lord is saying, I am the, the beginning of the end, right? He is the beginning of the end of creation of man and all that he's done that because he is in control of it. Now verse 9, we look at what John is about to do. He's about to connect with the persecuted churches. And this is what he says. He said, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience, endurance that our Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He says again, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience. Endurance that earned Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10 says, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And here's where it gets interesting. This is the vision of the Son of Man. John is going to see a vision of the Lord really in his glory. And he's going to try his best to describe that, right? How can you do that, describe God in a vision? You look at him, you're like, well, I'm going to try my best to describe him, but he's, he's pretty much almost indescribable. <clears throat> so verse 11, he goes back real quick and he attends, or he addresses the seven churches, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, to Pergamon and to Tyreta and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned, verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like bronze... uh, burnished uh, bronze refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp 2 edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So this is what John is, he's trying his best to describe what he sees. He said, then I turned, verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, right? What do the lampstands represent? They represent the churches. We've got to get a picture of what's going on here. At the beginning here, as he's describing that and calling the names of the churches, Christ is in the middle of the lampstands. But it's going to be sad. Would you see later on, remember the uh, church number seven, he's, he's outside knocking on the door. Church number one lost their first love. So really, what it's saying is that He is the one that makes the church thrive. Right? We are the body of Christ. He is the head. And so that's what the lampstands—they symbolize that. The hairs of His head were white, like, like white wool, like snow. This is powerful. This this stands for His attribute of Him, His pureness, who He is, His purity, just pureness and His holiness. Like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. In other words, his eyes are piercing. They could see everything. Nothing. Nothing is. um, uh, What's the word I want to use? Everything is naked before his eyes, I should say. His feet are like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. When you look at his feet with bronze, refined in a furnace, that word bronze is used a lot in the Old Testament for that term right there, that word for um, uh, judgment, for judgment. Uh, You see that in the altar when they would offer up the sacrifices in the temple, they had like a bronze screen and all that. The reason they would use that bronze because it was really uh, used for high-tempered heat. It could handle the heat of the sacrifices and all that. So this typifies of what he did for us at Calvary, that bronze right there, and also proving that he was also fully man and fully God. He was also a human being, refined in a furnace, right? He was, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And that's been said time and time and time again on his voice. And I can't even imagine what that would sound like, but I'm sure it would it would get our attentions. And it would get our attention so much that uh, the Lord spoke on that mountain and the Jews didn't want to hear it no more. I said this last week they 're like Moses you talk to him and then you come relate to us what he's saying we don't want to hear his voice the we're just we're scared to hear his voice <clears throat> and in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a, a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength the most far- this is one of the most awesome thing about the description because we have the same kind of description and I didn't look up that The verses in in the book of Daniel where Daniel had a revelation of the Lord too. And he's seen basically the same thing. The Lord in the Old Testament and then the Lord in the New Testament. So with that saying, he's always been God. He's always been God. The only difference has been, it's been the cross. That's the difference of the cross. What he did there for us. so the same thing that what, da- what happened to Daniel happens to John. It says, when I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So this kind of puzzles me, right? Because at the beginning it said that he's he seeing a, a vision of Jesus. He turns around he looks, he starts describing him. But then when you look at verse 17, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me. So is it a vision now, or what's going on? (laughs) You judge for yourself. I just thought it was very intriguing. When I started reading, I said, wait a minute. He's talking about a a, a vision, but all of a sudden, it seems like it's it's the real deal. So he says, fear not, for I am the first and the last, verse 18, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hates. All due to what he did, Calvary. I'm alive forevermore. The resurrection Write, therefore, verse 19, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And this is powerful. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament when the Lord appeared to Abraham, right? We were talking about that earlier before Abraham was, I am. Abraham was in front of his, his tent in the heat of the day. And the Lord appeared in the form of a man, right? This is a type of the, <laughs> of the gospel in the New Testament. And the two angels that were with him. And uh, immediately Abraham recognized the Lord and called him Lord and, you know, asked that he could uh, tend to their needs, you know, feed them and all that. And so they start dressing the the food and all that. And after a while, um, the Lord sends the two angels towards Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And then the Lord asks Abraham a question, you know, basically asking, should I let you in on the secret? Shall I let you know what I'm doing here? And so the Lord revealed to Abraham what he was there for. Remember, Abraham started interceding for those cities. Lord, if there's, you know, it went from 50 all the way down to 10, if there's 10 righteous people, and it didn't happen. It's sad to say, But what I'm getting at, the Bible says that Abraham um, believed by faith and it was accounted for righteousness. But also, and I think it's in the book of Romans, Paul said that Abraham was a friend of God. There was this relationship. And so God revealed to him that there was judgment going to come against these two cities. And now God's doing the same thing with John. He's going to warn him and prepare him for the things that are going to come sometime in the future. He said, verse 20 asks, For the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. In other words, these are the pastors of these seven churches. At the seven lampstands are the seven churches. we got the pastors and churches. So he gives them that revelation on that part. So we have seven churches, and I, I just want to point out something. I'm sorry, I'm going back to my King James Bible. I was going to ESV, but I marked some things in here that I thought were really neat. And I'm sure some of you probably know this already. But when you look at the first church, it says uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, right? So that's just something that, we just, uh, that John described about the Lord, that he was amidst those, those lampstands. So here we got a picture of Christ, of that revelation in this church. The next church is uh, the Church of Smyrna, verse 8. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things, say it, the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So that's also described in there too, right? It's in there where he says that. Uh, Verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So it's just so unique when you start looking at the first way, the first thing that Christ describes himself in each church they go back to the first chapter, pretty much the majority of them. The church of Pergamon says, these things saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges, right? And so we just read that when John described Jesus. So that's another church. The next church is uh, the church of Thyatira. And at verse 18, it said, unto the angel of the church write, these things saith the Son of God who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire. And his feet are like fine brass. And that's interchangeable. They go from bronze to brass all the time in the Bible. Basically means the same thing. And so you go to the next church. And this church of Sardis in chapter 3, verse 1. And, the, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And so we just read that earlier about the seven um, stars seven spirits now the next one I, it was kind of hard to try to find that one verse, um, verse 7 and unto the church of Philadelphia these things saith he that is holy he that is true he that has the key of David he that opened up and no man shut it and shut it that no man opened it I was trying to find that in the first chapter and I really couldn't find much but I found one word in verse 18 where it used the word key so that's as close as I can get to that one and then you have the last one, which is Laodicea, the 14th uh, verse. And it says, and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And I think I found that one like in verse, not in the description of Christ, but somewhere else. I'm trying to remember where I found it. Wasn't it, I think it might have been verse 5, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness and the first begotten, of the dead, and so you just got pictures of, of the churches that describe who Christ is, which really relates to who he is. So basically what's going on, if Christ is not in the church, then it's just a dead church, right? If Christ is not in the church, it's just a dead church. If the Holy Spirit is not moving in a church, it's dead. There has to be life. There has to be this vibrancy. There has to be the Lord leading us within the body of Christ because He is the head. And so when we look at these seven churches, we can go through them. And the Lord, you know, says, I know your works, right? There's these are works that we do. There are works that we do for the Lord. Have nothing to do with our salvation, but they're gonna proofs of things of our of uh you know our our love for him and our faithfulness to him. You know, we want to do good works. And he starts, you know, some of these churches, I think. Uh, two out of the seven churches were not rebuked, but the other five were rebuked And this first one. It's just sad, really. The church of Ephesus, if you look at verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee or you, because thou hast left or you have left your first love. And when you go back and you start reading the book of uh, Ephesians that Paul wrote, this was a church that he was boasting about that had so much love and just loved people. And they're a, a vibrant church. And then look where they ended up after you know, a period of time. So really, why is God doing this? Why is he saying this, you know, to all these different churches? Because he loves us, and he wants to bring correction, right? He wants to say, hey, I love you, and you're doing good here, but you need to work in this area now, and that's how God works. He's always going to do that for us. Now, some teach that this is like a dispensation. The first church that's mentioned is like back when the church birthed, and they just been going on to, we get where we're at right now. And I mean, that, that can work. But I look at all seven of these churches, and they're, they're, they're alive right now in this world someplace, whether it's a church that's uh, uh, thriving or it's a church that's dead, but there's churches all over. So is Christ really reigning in our church because it's his church? Has he truly uh, had the access that he wants in our life as a body to be able to work through us and let the Holy Spirit work through us to do the work that he's calling us to do? And I, I believe we are, and I'm sure that uh, if the Lord walked in this door, He would be like, "Okay, we love you, but uh, look, damn, this right here, and that, you know, and we're fine with that. We know we know we're not some perfect church, or that that's not going to happen. To we're glorified, but we strive to want to please them, right? And this is where revelation comes when we start getting revelation who He is. When when you really spend that time and just meditate on Him, and He starts revealing Himself to you there's nothing like it in the whole world and I know some of you have experienced that but when it comes to that point where this word has went from me reading it with my eyes and then coming to my heart to finally I get revelation that is that's a beautiful thing to have and that's what he desires he desires to show himself to us in a way that we're just we're amazed and we just fall in love with them and I think that's what's missing in the churches and not to be critical in churches but there seems to be a misconception of how we get people into, you know, and, to come, to invite them, to witness them, to love them. And there's been different kinds of strategies that have been used, different ways. And I get it. You know, they're, they're desperate and trying to figure out ways to do it. But we got to remember this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. And if we have the Holy Spirit moving and if we have the love of Christ in us, people are going to come because they want the real deal. And they're going to be able to come with us because they're going to see that we're messed up too and we're all walking by the grace of God just by what he's doing in our life. And so that's not trying to be critical. It's just the truth. Whatever conceptions or whatever strategies a church uses to bring people in, well, now they've got to come up with the next gimmick. How do we keep them in, right? We tried this. We brought them in with all that. I'm sorry. It's not going to work but if they're if they're just loved and they feel the the conviction of the holy spirit and it, their hearts being dealt with and they feel the love of god and the presence of god it's going to make them like hey i got to hang out here and see what's going on this is a little bit different than what i'm used to and that's what we need we're not we're not the church we are a part of the, a very small part of the universal church of god in this system right now in this world and so i would just encourage you on that that really Just asking God that he would show you specifically what he's asking you to do, what he's calling you to do within this local body, that he would give you that revelation. Because you know what? Once he gives you that and would you know he's going to equip you to do what you need to do to be so we're all beneficial within the body. But really, um, I look look at these churches and I'm like, Lord, we we got fault ourselves and there's some things that we need to work out, but we love you and we got to remember we got to keep our first love. In Him, we need that more, most of all. Our first love in Christ, and if we, we, we keep Him as the object of our faith, continue to preach Him and just love Him and lead people to Him, God's going to move mightily through our heart, our life because the Holy Spirit going to back that up. The Holy Spirit has come to testify of Christ, exalt Christ, right, and to do these things and to make Christ known and to show His character and His attributes to us in a way that's just phenomenal. And I just want to encourage you in that we're not perfect. Let's pray for one another. C- come hang out with me for about a day. <laughs> and you'll see Amen. and I love it. You know, we're going to we're going to show each other grace. Right? We're going to love each other. We're in this together. We're going to go forward, but really, I just God just wants a, a a church that's that's willing to obey him and just love him and, and let him have his way in their lives because he is our lifeline. Without him, a holy spirit will leave and it just be a dead social club. That's what it'll become. And I know that's not what we desire, none of that. But I know that the Lord is—he's uh, he, moving, he's moving into the church. He's starting to uh, draw some people and deal with some hearts, and you know he's changing some of us and things in our life. He's helping me. I need a lot of change, <laughs> but praise God. But this is what it's about. We just want to be faithful, and and really, what John is just trying to encourage the church. You're going through some things. You're going to go through some things, but hey, we're God is in control. We're going to go forward, and that's the key to it. What has the Lord been revealing to you lately? That's all I can ask you, and you'll know you'll know when He reveals you, reveals something to you through the word. It's just phenomenal. There's nothing like it. You're like, Lord, only you could open my eyes and see something like that for a long time i just I mean I preached the gospel, you know f- full of the Holy Spirit, and I'm like lord, there's there's just not a connection. I couldn't get it. I'm, and finally, the Lord gave me revelation what was lacking of the connection between trying uh, to present the gospel, but then having revelation of the gospel personally to be able to really understand that as we go with that. And that's that's just my desire when people understand the love of God in the church and really the love of God through what He did at Calvary when they get that revelation how much God loves us and what he did for us on that on that cross. His love, uh, his passion, um, all that was done to him just to save us, that that should break anybody. That should break anyone. Remember the old uh, Dallas home song? He died of a broken heart. I love that song. It, it makes you think, man, he, that's how much he loved you. That's how much he loves us, that he took it all on that cross just to, to, just to free us from our sins and to give us a new life and to be able to give that love to somebody else and share it with someone else. And so praise God. I'm sorry I didn't get into his uh, I'll be honest I didn't get into as deep as I wanted to, but <laughs> you know, things happen sometimes and but God is good and He gives His mercy. And I just wanna encourage you.